I am so, I think it's so cool that Canvas is this Friday night. Because when I show you the verse that, that we've gotten to now in our study of Ephesians, we've been going through Ephesians since April, you're going to think, wow, Justin is a really good planner. Like months ago, he looked at the calendar and he said, ah, Canvas, Friday, September 7th. I'll time it so that we're at this verse that week. And I want you to know on the front end, no, that is not what happened. I'm not a planner at all. I bought a planner. I don't use it. Like, I do that every year. I'm like, this is the year. I'm going to buy a planner. No, it sits in my backpack, which I forget at home half the time. I'm going on vacation in two weeks. I don't even know where we're going. Someone asked me this morning. I know the state. I know Florida, which is very general. But someone asked me this morning, like, oh, you're going to Florida. Where? I'm like, I I don't know. I don't know. Megan knows. And I figured that morning I'll just ask her and we'll just drive there. Um, Like, that's how I live my life. It is not. I don't recommend it. Um, Pray for me. You know, it's not good. But, uh, but Jesus did say, what, what good is it to like say you're going to do this and all this other stuff? That's in the Bible, so I just live that way. Um, but, but here's the verse. All that to say this. I didn't plan this, but I'm standing here on stage with this awesome painting next to me, talking about canvas, talking about art. Check out where we're at. Ephesians chapter 2, verse 10. For we are God's masterpiece. He has created us anew in Christ Jesus so we can do the good things he planned for us long ago. How awesome is it that God is better at planning things than we are? That's a good thing. That's a really good thing. Yeah, absolutely. Okay, for, for some context, we are wrapping a series up today called Resurrected. It's Ephesians chapter 2, verses 1 through 10. We've been going through this for a while, and we call it Resurrected because Ephesians 2, 1 through 10 tells a resurrection story, but it is not the resurrection of Jesus. It's connected to that, but it's actually the story of our resurrection. Paul begins, he's the author, in Ephesians chapter 2, verse 1, by saying, once you were dead. And that's a very interesting way to start a conversation. Like, you remember that one time when you weren't alive? Remember that one time when you were dead? And most of us would be like, never happened to me. I have, I've been alive as long as I've been alive, literally. And he's not talking, though, about, about physical death here. He's, he's actually talking about something far more important. Like far more grave, really, and that's spiritual death. We have a tendency as people to, to separate the physical from the spiritual. Like we see the spiritual as its own kind of category and, and then our physical day-to-day lives as their own thing. Jesus never did that. Jesus never, ever did that. The spiritual was every bit as relevant as the physical. In fact, Jesus would say that the spiritual is more relevant. He said, what good does it do you if you gain the whole world but lose your soul? Is anything more valuable than your soul? Our spirit is more enduring, it is more important than our bodies. And so it's so important for us to make sure that we're talking about what God wants to do in our spirit. What is spiritual is practical. So when Paul says, once you were dead, he's, he's talking about our spirit, but that should not make us go like, oh, okay, good, it was just my spirit. Whew, at least it wasn't my body. Like Paul would be like, no, 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 your body, that's gonna die. Your spirit, you better make sure that your spirit is where it needs to be. And it's kind of hard for us to understand that concept, though, because we see life as, like, physical, right? So how was I dead? We've used this analogy over the course of the last few weeks to help us understand it, of a phone. I mean, you all have a phone on you right now, and you've probably said at some point in the last week, my phone died. And you did not bury it in the backyard. You know, you didn't hold a a service for your phone. Because you didn't mean it was physically dead. What you meant was it it had no power. It, It had no spirit. It had no life. So it's not able to function as it's meant to. And and the claim that Paul makes is the claim that Jesus himself made. It's bold, is that without Jesus, we are not really alive. Without Jesus, we lack the power 
to live life as we're meant to, to live life as we ought to. That's a bold claim. And so Paul says, once you were dead, you were spiritually dead, no life, no ability to function to your ultimate capacity. And then fast forward to verse 10, he says, you're a masterpiece. So we've gone from being dead to being masterpieces. And that is quite the jump. And there's a lot in between there. Obviously, if you wanna listen to the, the previous messages, you can. But today I want us to explore what it looks like to be a masterpiece, to, to literally be a, a masterpiece in God's eyes. What does it mean to have gone from being dead to not just alive, but, but to be apparently so valuable that we are our masterpieces? Let's talk about what it means to be living art today. Now, it's interesting when I say you're a masterpiece, and I don't want you to change your behavior right now, but I don't see a lot of like, oh, really? Wow. I don't see a lot of joy on, on the faces. You know, sometimes statements like that, they have this way of just kind of going over our heads. Like we think it's just a metaphor. We, we think it's a nice sentiment. I mean, honestly, think about this for a second. You're a masterpiece. Think about everything that God has created. Everything he's made, right? All the cool stuff, all the cute stuff. You know, I'm talking about oceans and mountains and puppies and, and all that stuff. Like everything that's beautiful and wonderful. That's, that's just on the earth, by the way. Think about the galaxy, the cosmos. All of that is, is the, the craftsmanship of God. And he calls us the masterpiece. Like what, what is a masterpiece? A masterpiece is, it's the part of creation that best expresses the creativity of the creator. It's whatever, whatever creation is the, the utmost example of that artist's ability. That's a masterpiece. And God says, hey, yeah, mountains, stars, planets, galaxies, oceans, puppies, all of it, you're the masterpiece. You want to see what the best expression of God's creativity actually is? Look in the mirror. I mean, that's just a crazy thing to say when we think about how many amazing things there are in the world and we're the masterpiece and again, we hear that and it's like no one's going, yay, I'm a masterpiece. We struggle to believe that that's actually true and, and I think this is part of the reason why. We live in a culture that loves fluff, right? Like we live in a culture that loves to say really positive things with nothing behind it. Like we've, we've been raised to believe very nice sounding things like ideas spoken over us that are ultimately empty. For example, I'm a child of, of the 80s and 90s. Anyone else here born in the 80s? Any other 80s children? Yeah. Some of you are judging us like we're really young. Some of you are judging us like we're really old, but you know, that's how it goes. So I was born in 1983, which technically makes me a millennial. I am the oldest you can be to be a millennial. Millennials, 83 is when they start. So here I am. I'm the oldest millennial in the room. So the rest of millennials, like, follow me. I've been here longer. Like, I know what's going on. I remember when there was no internet. I remember that. I know how to use a phone book. So, like, that's valuable, right? I don't know. So in my generation, my generation was, was told a lot of things in school, in television cartoons. We were told that we were all special. All of us, you are special. We were told that we were unique. You are so unique, there is no one like you, no one. And we were told that we can do anything if we believe in ourselves, right? You can do anything if you just believe in yourself, which is nonsense, <laughs> right? Like what nonsense is that? Do you know how many things I can't do no matter how much I believe in myself? 
Like, it's, it's funny, my, my oldest son, Liam, I've, I've never really talked about him much, but he loves basketball, and um, we play a lot together. It's a thing. Like, about a year ago, Liam was asking me why I didn't play in the NBA, as if it was an option. Like, that, in his mind, he's like, Dad, why didn't you play in the NBA? And, and to his seven-year-old brain at the time, he's like, you know, you, you should have done that. And I'm going, well, I didn't really have the opportunity to play in the NBA. And I'm like, I'm five foot nine, and Liam knows every basketball player. It's ridiculous. And he's like, Dad, Isaiah Thomas is five foot nine. And he's right. There's one guy in the NBA who's five foot nine named Isaiah Thomas. One guy. And he's like, see? And like to Liam, you should have just applied yourself more, Dad. You know? And the truth is, as a kid, I did believe, I believed I was going to be a professional athlete. Almost every kid who plays sports is like, yeah, clearly I'm going to be like the top 1%. You just believe that. I believed in my ability, but here's the truth. I, I, no matter how much I believe in myself, I cannot dunk. I cannot do complex math equations in my head. I cannot find my keys most mornings, no matter how much I believe in myself. How many of us have gotten ourselves in a lot of trouble because we believed too greatly in ourselves? Anyone? Anyone's like, oh, I believed. I was, yeah. That's why you should believe in Jesus, (laughs) right? Don't believe in yourself. Believe in him. So we've been, we've been pumped all this, this nonsense. We've been pumped all this fluffy, nice-sounding, but ultimately hollow and, and empty verbiage. And so by the time we get to adulthood, when we hear a really nice-sounding statement spoken over us, we're like, yeah, okay. I'm a masterpiece, just like I was special and unique and can do anything that I put my mind to if I believe in myself and follow my dreams, Right? Because we all dreamed of, of like middle management positions and 45, 60-hour work weeks, right? We all dreamed of that. It's the most wonderful thing. But I want you to understand that, that this statement is not a biblical pep talk. It's just meant to, to make you feel good for a few minutes. That this statement about you being a masterpiece, it is not, it is not just another nice-sounding axiom but, but ultimately rings untrue. This is real. You are. You absolutely are, in the eyes of God, a masterpiece. You are that valuable. At the end of the day, there's really two things that determine what makes something valuable. And I want to kind of illustrate these two things with with illustrations, actually, um, actual illustrations. So I've got three paintings that I want to show you real quick on the screens, all right? So here they are. Painting number one, take a look at this. Painting number two. Painting number three. All right, three paintings of flowers. One of those you can buy on Etsy for $400. That's the cheapest one because art is not cheap. One of those you can buy at a fine art gallery for $12,000. And one of those sold a few years ago for $1.2 million. Now I want to look at these again and see if you can guess which is which. Okay, so painting number one. No, 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 keep it up, guys. Don't just blink. Like, we really need to see that. There we go. Painting number one. Painting number two. Painting number three. All right. So take that, take that down. Let's, let's do this. How many think painting number one is the $1.2 million painting? Okay. How many say painting number two? How many say painting number three? Okay, painting number three is the $12,000 painting. Painting number two is the $400 painting, so good news if you liked it a lot. If you raised your hand that it was the $1.2 million, you can get a steal of a deal today on Etsy. You just go, $400, bucks. I mean, so it's practically, you're, you're basically losing money if you don't buy it. Um, 
Penny number one, $1.2 million. That sold for $1.2 million. Funny story, a guy bought that in a flea market along with a couch and an end table for 50 bucks. And then come to find out, <laughs> it was a lost masterpiece of this very famous artist. Now, now that's a beautiful painting of some flowers on a, on a cloth, you know? That's like, I mean, I'll be honest, and this isn't meant to be offensive to any of you if you like this, but like that, that looks like my grandma's house. That's what I think of when I see that. I'm like, oh, that's grandma right there, you know? And so, and it's great. But, but go ahead and show painting number two again. Why is that 3,000 times less valuable? That, that's, that's the math there, by the way. That costs 3,000 times less than the first painting. Painting number one is a masterpiece. It's a masterpiece. Why? There's two things, two things that make it a masterpiece. Two things that make it worth $1.2 million, and it's very simple. Number one, who made it? Number two, how much was someone willing to pay for it? It's that simple. It's like, like who made it? The, the artist that made that was a famous artist, and what's really funny is if that, if that painting had a different signature on it and it was exactly the same, it would be worth nothing. It'd be $400 on Etsy. If painting number two was exactly the same, but had the signature from painting number one, it's in an art gallery somewhere, it's in an art museum, it's, it's, it's a masterpiece. There, It's like, wow. Everyone would, would think differently because who makes it matters. The maker matters, right? Something is more valuable if it's made by, by someone who is respected, someone who's adored, and who made you? You're made by God. Psalm 139, 14, the psalmist wrote, I praise you because I am fearfully and wonderfully made. Your works are wonderful. I know that full well. You were made by God. It's interesting, if you read the story of creation, God takes a very different approach with us than every other part of creation. We're the only part of creation that he makes by hand. We're the only part of creation that he actually speaks into, not just about. He doesn't just say, let there be this. He actually speaks into us. He breathes his spirit into us. He makes us to be like him. We're unique. In fact, if you read Genesis 1, sometimes God says, hey, let the earth produce various kinds of fruit and animals and all that kind of stuff. He basically says, let nature produce these things. But nature didn't produce us. He made us by hand. We are handcrafted by God, and the maker matters. Number two, how much is someone willing to pay for something? Well, the reason that painting is worth $1.2 million is because someone paid $1.2 million for it. Now, you might question their judgment, you might think of a lot of things that you'd rather spend 1.2 million. If you had 1.2 million dollars, would you be like, I got a painting I'm about to go buy. I'll tell you that. Some flowers are going to be on my wall. <laughs> nope. Nope. It's like a dumb way to spend money in my opinion, but whatever. But someone was, was willing to spend 1.2 million on that, which makes it worth 1.2 million dollars. Well, how much are you worth? And, and don't say priceless, because that's not true. Right? That's the, the temptation. Like, I'm priceless. No, you're not. You have a job. You accepted a certain amount of money for your time. Okay? So clearly you're not priceless. You, you, actually, you actually have a price. Is it high? Absolutely. 1 Corinthians chapter 6, Paul is talking to this, this group of Christians in Corinth, which is a really wild place, unlike America, like prim and proper like us, but it was really wild. 
And he's actually giving them a sex talk, which is awkward. Like, it's always awkward to have a sex talk. I just had that talk with my eight-year-old. And when I explained it, he went, no. (laughs) That was it. And if you're like, he's eight years old, why are you having that talk? Okay, time out real quick. I was a youth pastor for 10 years. And if you have a, a, a child that's in that age range, I just want you to know you have two options. This is really true. You have two options as to who is going to be the person that teaches your child about that first. It's either you or a fifth grader on the bus with an iPhone. Those are your choices. So which do you, which do you choose? I'm like, I, I know the kids on the bus. I know the kids in our neighborhood. Mm-mm, nope, not going there. So I had the conversation first. Now Paul is, is giving a sex talk to the Corinthians and buried in this sex talk is this amazing statement about our value. He says, run from sexual sin. No other sin so clearly affects the body as this one does. For sexual immorality is a sin against your own body. Don't you realize that your body is the temple of the Holy Spirit who lives in you and was given to you by God? You do not belong to yourself for God bought you with a high price. So you must honor God with your body. Now when he says you were purchased for a high price, What's he talking about? Somebody. Jesus, Christ, absolutely. He's talking about Jesus. He's saying that you were bought by God with God. That you were made by God and then God purchased you with God. So how how valuable are you? Well, how much is someone willing to pay for you? Jesus looked at you and he determined that you are worth his life. That makes you extremely valuable. You were created by God and you were purchased for a price that is greater than we can even comprehend because Jesus is not just some person. He's the one who holds all creation together and he died for you. That makes you so valuable. You are a masterpiece. You are a masterpiece because you're made by someone important because the price paid for you is high. And look, if you get your value out of anything else in life, you are selling yourself short. If you get your value out of your paycheck, you are selling yourself short. If you get your value out of your talent, you are selling yourself short. If you get your value out of your, your, your personal appearance or where you live or the car you drive or, or, or how attractive you know, your, your spouse is or how successful your children are, you are selling yourself short. The only thing that you should get your true value from is, is the concept that you are made by God and worth the blood of Jesus. That makes you valuable, that makes you a masterpiece. You are a masterpiece in God's eyes. This is not just just fluff, but it doesn't end there. It doesn't end there. The first half of of Ephesians 2.10 is we're masterpieces. And we can end right here and be like, yay. But he says something else that's that's pretty, pretty powerful. We are God's masterpiece. He created us anew in Christ Jesus. And that kind of goes along with the idea that we've been resurrected, we've been brought to life, which we've been talking about. So we can what? So we can do the good things he planned for us long ago. It's a really interesting dynamic that we see with with the Apostle Paul, who wrote so much of the New Testament. You can almost summarize most of Paul's writings by saying that what he likes to do is he likes to shine a spotlight on Jesus. And he oftentimes spends the the first chunk of of his writings just saying, hey, let's look at Jesus. 
And let's really examine Jesus. Let's put the spotlight on him. Let's look at him from every angle. Let's, let's think about all that he's done and what it means. And let's think about all the implications of, of everything he's done for us and what his sacrifice meant and who he really is. He just, he fixes our eyes on Jesus. And then once we kind of grasp that, once he's gone over that over and over and over again, he says, okay, now live in light of that. There really isn't a writer in the New Testament who spends as much time hammering down the point that like, it's by grace only that you've been saved. You can't do a thing to earn God's love. I mean, the very few verses before Ephesians 2.10, verses 8 and 9, God saved you by his grace when you believed, and you can't take credit for this. It's a gift from God. Salvation is not a reward for the good things we have done, so none of us can boast about it. Paul, he, he hammers this all the time. You did nothing to earn this. At the same time, there, there may not be an author who, who talks as much as Paul does about how you've got to live differently because of what Jesus has done. So it's not just, hey, God's given you grace. He loves you. Yes, absolutely, we should celebrate that. But then he says, hey, do something with it. I mean, it's almost like, like you've been given a lottery ticket and it's a winning lottery ticket, but you still have to cash it in. <laughs> You still got to do something with it. And Paul says, hey, understand who Jesus is and what Jesus has done. But once you understand it, you've got to do something. You've got you've to do things. You've got work to do. You have a purpose. You've got to live a different life. Because this is so amazing. This is so powerful that if you really see it, if you really grasp it, if you really believe it, you cannot help but live in a way you've never lived before. We have a saying here on our staff that we use. It's just kind of funny and helpful to us that you don't have to be a Jesus follower to become a Jesus follower. But once you become a Jesus follower, you should be a Jesus follower. And that means we don't have to, to ask anyone to do anything to start following Jesus. Do you, do you love him? Do you want to know him? Great. Cool. That's, that's like, that, that is the bar. <laughs> it's really low. But then once you have him, you've got to do something with him. And he says that we were dead, but we've been brought to life. We've been created anew in Christ Jesus. We're masterpieces, but we're created to do some work, to do the good things that he planned for us long ago. Now, the question is, what things? I think that's where we struggle. Like, what, what things? Because, you know, I, I kind of alluded to this earlier. And worship team, you guys can make your way out, and we'll, we'll wrap up. When we're kids, and some of us in the room still are, and some of us in the room... Still are, but like, you know, yeah, okay. <laughs> but when we're kids, we, we dream big. We, we dream of doing meaningful things. That's just natural. Like Liam, who's the only kid I have that's old enough to actually be thinking about the future, he told me the other day, Dad, I think I'm gonna be a pastor when I retire from the NBA. Like, my, my job is his, like, retirement plan, which is uh, interesting. <laughs> I'm like, okay, hey, if you do that, by all means. But that's how kids are. They, they, they dream big. They dream of doing things that are meaningful. But then we get to adulthood, and, and we almost always settle into something that, that seems a little less epic than what we dreamed of as a kid, except in, on rare occasion. And so there's this tendency for us to think, oh, man, I've missed it. God had, had this, this big thing for me to do in the world, and maybe I'm not doing it. Like, you ever struggle wondering whether or not what you actually do in life is meaningful? I think so often we think about, about making an impact for God, like doing the, the good things that he wants us to do. And we think about, well, I guess I gotta quit my job and become a missionary or a pastor or something like that. We feel like those are the people who make the impact. It's not true. 
please do not all quit your jobs because then I won't have one. Like, that's really simple. That's selfish, but like, don't do that. But it's not true. Like, okay, I'm a pastor and I'd say about 99% of the people I talk to already love God to some degree. Like, if you walk into a church, you either are someone who already loves God or you're like open to it to some degree. That's not your life. I know that. I go to work every day and 100% of the people I work with love Jesus. I never have to go to work and think, man, I really hope that so-and-so like finds Jesus. I mean, it'd be really odd if there was a church and, and the person working there is like, I don't even believe in God. I'm like, well, you have a job to do, so act like it, okay? Like, come on. No, no, like everyone who works here, like we have problems, we have struggles, sure. And we pray for each other and we have ups and downs, but, but everyone here, they already know Jesus. Does anyone else work somewhere where 100% of the people you work with know the Lord? Awesome. What church do you work at? Why are you here? I'm just, I'm just joking with you, man. <laughs> but that, that's a very rare thing. One hand goes up, maybe two I, I, from what I can see which means that you guys actually have the ability to go somewhere, to go places, to interact with people that don't even know Jesus yet. I don't get to do that. So if you wanna know the good things that God has for you to do, please understand that you have the opportunity every day to do those very things. You don't have to quit what you're doing. He might call you to do that, fine. If he does, say yes. But he's got something for you right now. He has work for you to do right now. He's brought you to life. He's resurrected you. He didn't resurrect you just to to be alive. He resurrected you to live. He's given you a purpose and a calling. But we get so confused as Christians, like, well, what is it? What am I gonna do? It's gotta be some some big thing. I wanna share a verse with you that's, that's really enlightening. This whole concept of like, God, how can I figure out what you want me to do? 1 Timothy 6, 17 through 19. Teach those who are rich in this world not to be proud and not to trust in their money, which is so unreliable. Their trust should be in God who richly gives us all we need for our enjoyment. Tell them to use their money to do good. They should be rich in good works and generous to those in need, always being ready to share with others. By doing this, they will be storing up their treasure as a good foundation for the future so that they may experience true life. We see that phrase, they should be rich in good works and then generous and all that. By the way, when he says, to those who are rich in this world, we, we are tempted to read that and be like, well, that's not me. That does not include me. And, and maybe a very small percentage of us, if, if any, that would apply to. But just know that by being alive right now and living where you live, you're like in the top 1% of wealthy people who have ever lived in the history of the world, ever. And so this applies to us. And he says, be rich in good works. When we see the phrase good works, we're like, okay, feeding homeless people and, and things like that. That's what naturally comes to mind. But it's interesting because that, that's, that's not what he's saying at all. Those are good things to do. We give a lot of opportunities as a church for us to go do those things, absolutely. But the word he uses that we translate works, it would almost be better if we just translated it work. Because it's this Greek word ergon, which means your occupation. It means your job. It means like your, your role in this world. Whether that's working in an office, staying at home, taking care of family, whatever that is. He's saying, hey, do your job really well. Colossians 3.23, he echoes this. He says, work willingly at whatever you do as though you are working for the Lord rather than for people. How many of you have a boss that does not remind you of Jesus? 
Oh, you liars. Come on. Look at all these people. Come on. You don't have to raise your hand. Someone's raising it really high. I hope your boss does not go here. What would it be like this week if you worked for your employer as if they were Jesus? Seriously, like, that's what Paul says. See, I think we get stuck sometimes praying or or wondering, asking God to, to give us something big to do. Like, God, give me something big to do with my life. And what if instead of asking God to give us something big to do, what if we began to actually believe that what we're doing is big? Because God can use it. I would not be a pastor if it wasn't for a high school teacher named Will Goodwin. He's a teacher. He taught drama. (laughs) It's not even a core class. Okay, that's all I'm saying. And if not for him, I would not do this at all. So I'm glad that he didn't quit his job to go try to do something big because he made a big impact in my heart, changed my life forever. You've been brought to life. You've been resurrected. You're a masterpiece. You have so much value. So what God is saying is, hey, because I have placed so much value on you, bring value to every situation that you're in. God is saying, I have placed eternal value on you. You are so worthy in his eyes. He says, I've given you eternal value. I've called you my masterpiece. Now go wherever you go and bring value wherever you go. What would it look like this week if you brought eternal value to work? Would you you talk differently to your coworkers or about your coworkers? Would you have a different mindset, a different attitude if you, if you said, I'm gonna go to work this week and I'm gonna be Jesus. I'm gonna bring Jesus to the people around me. What would it look like for you this week to say, I'm gonna, I'm gonna bring value to my home. And by value, I don't mean your paycheck. I mean, I mean you. Because your kids, they need a paycheck, yes, but they need a parent more. What would it be like if you said, hey God, help me bring value to my home this week? Would you talk to your spouse differently? Would you serve in a different capacity? Would you be more attentive? Would you be more present for your children? Those of you who are kids at home, what would it look like for you this week to say, I wanna bring value to my home as a child, as a a young person in my home, how can I bring value to my parents' lives? How can I speak to them in a way that, that affirms them, that encourages them? How can I... How can I live in such a way that that honors what they've taught me? You've been brought to life by God to live out a purpose. You have good things, good things that he's planned for you to do. But what I want you to know is those good things are not 10 years down the road. Those good things are today. Those good things are tomorrow. It just means waking up in the morning and saying, I'm going to go be Jesus. I'm going to go live like Jesus. Wherever I go, I'm going to go home and I'm going to, I'm going to bring value to my home. I'm going to love people. I'm going to serve people. I'm going to go to work and I'm going to be Jesus at work. And I'm going to share my faith with people and I'm going, to, I'm going to serve. I'm going to be patient. I'm going to be forgiving. My boss is a jerk, but I'm going to act like he's Jesus. And if you can do that, maybe you should move to Hollywood and, and like be an actor because that might be hard. But that's what Paul's saying. 
You have a purpose. You've been brought to life. So this week, live like a masterpiece. Live like a masterpiece. That's right. Let's pray together. Jesus, thank you so much for for making us again, for bringing us to life. You call us a masterpiece, and that that doesn't make a lot of sense to us. That's what you say, and what you say matters more than what anyone else says. It matters a lot more than what we say. So Lord, help us believe that. Help us us understand the value that we actually have and help us bring that value every place we go. We're not just masterpieces, some static piece of, of art on a wall. We're masterpieces with a purpose, Lord. We're masterpieces on the move. So as we go about our lives this week, as we move, God, help us bring you everywhere we go because you're with us. We are the temples of the Holy Spirit. You're everywhere we go. Lord, if there is anyone in this room right now who has not not given their life to you, Lord, I pray they do right now so they can understand the value that comes from being your child. We love you, Jesus. It is an honor to just talk about you and think about you. And I pray that you bless us as we go about our week. Help us live like the masterpieces we are. It's in your name we pray. Amen.